you wonder why we're laughing, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> you might not respect us anymore, but we're having fun. <clears throat> I want to share some things with you today, with all of us here, and uh, to my new friends in Romania. I was in Romania last week, and my brother Johnny Wynn preached, and uh, I understand he preached up a storm, and uh, it, was, it was great. But uh, what a great time in Romania last week. We met with some, some very, very uh, educated people and some very simple people. I don't mean that in any way derogatory at all. Here's what I'm going to say. When you share the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, the resurrection, the finished work of the cross, education levels, no matter how many languages you speak, we, we we're with some people that would speak five languages fluently, could change languages faster than you can change your socks. And this finished work of the cross, the unconditional favor of God toward man, they understood it and received it quickly. Those that were very simple, they understood it and received it very quickly. It was overlapping, this message of God's grace. Well, today I'm going to talk about the fatherhood of God and fathers in general. Now, the greatest need, I believe, on the earth, and you can believe me or not, I, I really have no control over that, but I believe that the greatest need on the earth is for fathers to understand their identity in Christ so that they can share that with others. The greatest need. So goes the Father in our country and the world. I'm going to say this. So goes the Father, so goes the world. So goes the Father, so goes the family. So goes the family, so goes the country. So goes the country, so goes the world. The greatest need we have are fathers. Now, today we're going to look at understanding the nature of God the Father. And you say, well, how can we understand the nature of God the Father? We don't know Him. Well, you do. You do. And we're going to see some things. We're going to see how that if you want to know the Father, we look at Jesus. Jesus is our picture of the Father. Now, we're going to be in several different verses, and if you want to follow along with me in your Bible, that's good. First thing we're going to see today is the Father's work. And if you look in John chapter 5, verse 17, and this is what Jesus said, John 5, 17. But he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. He draws men unto himself. Now, this, this is what God does. He draws men unto himself. And this will become our desire. Let me ask you a question. I've shared this on the airplane. I shared this with a cab driver there in, in Brushov, uh, my friends in Brushov, Romania. I shared it with people at the airport that were questioning me before we could get on the airplane to come to the U.S. in Amsterdam. I shared it with the customs agent when I came back into the United States, and I shared it with people on the airplanes that Jesus loves you. And God the Father loves you so much that he sent Christ the Son, literally, not just to take your penalty on himself, which he did, but to literally give you his life, and he has. The Father loves all men. The cab driver there in Brushov, he, he was excited about this. The, the young lady that was selling jewelry that she made, she was excited about this. When I got on the airplane coming here, there was a guy that was on the air. No, going back. It was going back. There was a guy on the airplane with me. He lived in Sarasota. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I don't know his name. And he was so interested in the fact that I was speaking in other countries. And I get to do this, speak in other countries. And he said, what do you tell them? 
And I said, I tell them, Jesus loves you. When I said that, it was like a bag went over his head. Buddy, he completely turned me off. He didn't want to hear another word. He did not speak to me the rest of the time we were on that airplane. And we were on the airplane a long time. So it just turned him off. It's okay. In, in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, I'm going to tell you this. God, the Father, does draw people to Christ the Son. That's why he sent Christ the Son. Jesus said, this is my purpose for coming, to seek and to save that which is lost. The Father loves you so much that he sent the Son, literally, to draw you to himself. Now, we will be about our Father's business. What was the business of the, of the Son? Literally, to draw people, to, to bring people into life. You said earlier you were sharing life. That's why they didn't want you to stop. I was sharing last Sunday night, and, and it was really exciting. The people were, were, were getting excited. I was excited. Everybody was excited. And, and there was just a buzz in the room. And I would say, well, that's enough. I'll stop. And then the pastor would say, no, don't stop. Keep going. So I thought, okay. So I would start again, and, and I'd think, well, that's enough for right now. That's enough for this trip. And he would say, no, don't stop. Keep going. And finally, when I did stop, he brought a bunch of people. This was his thing. He said, if you have ever been hurt in the church, I want you to come forward. And I want him to pray for you, me. And all these people came forward. And what he wanted me to do is to go to each one of them individually and pray over them. And I said, I'd rather not do that. Let me just pray for them one time. And so while I was up there, God said, share this with them. And I shared from John 16, verse 11, in that area, where that the Holy Spirit convicts these people of their righteousness. He convicts you of your righteousness. They'd been hurt by, by people telling them they could not measure up. And no, you can't measure up in the flesh, but it was never intended. But when I shared to them, the job of the Holy Spirit was to show them who they are. They're righteous. It's really exciting. Well, the book of Proverbs says, He that wins souls is wise. And this becomes true in your heart. You see, you want to tell people about the love of God. You want to tell people what it is Christ has already done. You want to tell people that God the Father loved you so much that he sent his son, that while we're yet sinners, he demonstrates his own love toward us. Now, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That when you were an enemy of God, that you've been reconciled to him through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. While you didn't believe, this is what he's already done. And when you understand this yourself, you want to share it with others. Well, I want my children to see this in my heart. I want my children to see that I love people. And you don't love people because you should. There are people that talk about loving people, and they don't really love people. Just, just watch how they react when they disagree with you or when you disagree with them. Well, I want to say this. We don't teach others these things this is caught. As you begin to understand the love of God, as you begin to understand the Father's work, Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. As you begin to believe Jesus with the faith, literally, that he's given to you, everything changes. As we begin to understand truly the Father's work, we'll begin to see the Father's love. In John 5, 20, it says this, for the Father loves the Son. 
God the Father loves God the Son. Now let me say this. It says, for the Father loves the Son. Let me ask you this. According to the Bible, and we're going to see some things, who is the Son? Do you realize that you're in Christ and He looks at you exactly like He looks at His Son, Jesus? You say, who does He love? Who is it that He loves? Well, I've shared it before and I'll share it over and over. How could I miss these things for all these years? For God so loved the world. Let's start with that, the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Now, he said, if God were your father. This could be translated. It's grammatically correct. It would be since God were your father. But here's the thing. It's not the fact of, or it's not the, there's no doubt of what God the Father and God the Son have already done. The problem is that people don't know it. Or if they do know it, they don't believe it. So for, for the rest of my life, I am not going to be sharing things with people so that God would do these things for people. I'm going to be sharing, and this is truth, what he has already done, what God the Father has already done, what God the Son has already done, what God the Father has already given through Christ the Son. I'm going to be sharing with people all over the world the love of God that he's already shown to man, already done it, completed it before the foundation of the world, chose you in him before the foundation of the world. I'm going to be telling people what they've already done, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and asking them to believe it. The Father is not the bad cop. You know the story, the good cop, the bad cop. Jesus is the good cop. He died. God the Father is the bad cop. You better watch out or he's going to get you. And that's the way I'm afraid it's been taught. I was sharing Saturday night, and there was a guy there who grew up in England. He's from Romania, but he lived in England, and uh, he was a drug addict. His father and mother were very, very educated, very well off. She worked for the BBC. He lived 17 years in England, and yet he had a drug issue, and he was a street person. Hardcore narcotics lived totally on the street, a broken man, until he, he had his testimony. Some of you might have seen it on Facebook. It's my friend Dan. Hello, Dan. And Dan said the same thing. He said, this is who I was, and God found me. That was the way he described it, same way another little girl did. God found me. And we were sharing about this. But he said that night when I was sharing and we were talking about the wrath of God, people don't understand what the wrath of God is even. The word wrath, it's the word orga. It means strong emotion. God has shown his wrath toward those that would not believe, his strong emotion. And it doesn't mean that he's going to hammer them. We have the idea that God thinks like we would in the flesh, and it's not true. God pours out his love toward them, and what becomes joy to you becomes terror for somebody that doesn't want to receive this. But it means strong emotion. And I was talking about hell, which is real, but it's not what we think. It's terrible. Don't want anybody to be there. But it's not what we've always heard. The wrath of God is God's unconditional love, his strong emotion that he's pouring out even on those that hate him and don't want it. And I said, you know, people are going to go to hell thinking they've escaped the love of God. And when they get to hell, they're going to find out that the love of God preceded them there. 
because it says in Psalm 139, it says, if I descend into the lowest, and it says in the English, hell, and the word would be uh, Sheol, which means the abode of the dead, made up of Hades and paradise, and you don't descend into paradise, so we're talking about Hades, but he said, if I descend, the psalmist did in Psalm 139, into the lowest shale, to the lowest point, to hell. You are there. And Dan told me, he said, when you said that, it just floored me. And I look, and he said, it was, it's right in there. He said, why has nobody ever told me that? Well, you've read it. There's no place you can go that you can escape the love of God. The love of God is bigger than anything that can be measured. It's so big, we can't even describe it. It can only be experienced. You can't even describe it to someone else. You just experience. And then you say, well, you believe and experience this same thing, the love of God. Well, people love God because he reveals his love for them, to them. That's the reason you love God. You don't love God because he tells you to. You love God because he loves you. And you respond. Love responds to love. And then there's a desire to love him. And then there's a desire to love those whom he loves. That's why you love your children. Because that's God making you who you are. And love is not what you do, it's who you are. And your children love you back. The greatest need, the greatest need that any person could ever know is to be unconditionally loved. I shared that the other night. I said, I know your greatest need. People look at you, what? And I say, to be unconditionally loved, that's your greatest desire. Well, as God reveals how much he loves you, you're capable of loving like that. The Father loves men who don't know it yet. You see, it's not a question of if he loves men, just some of them don't know it. So it's our job to tell them. But it's who we are, it's not even what we do. A father that loves God, talking about an earthly father that loves God, will love his family. He will. No one will have to tell him or try to manipulate him to doing it. Agape love. Agape love. This is the kind of love we're talking about. There are three words for love. One of them means like, phileo. One of them is the word uh, ergos. Uh, we would get the uh, we, we, erotic. You know, that would be uh, eros, excuse me. Uh, we would get the word, that would be the erotic kind of love, which in itself is not a bad thing. Now, we've made it a bad thing, but in itself it's not. God designed that too. But then there's agape. And that's the kind of love that God loves you with. Total commitment. Love expecting nothing in return. God expects nothing in return for you. That's the way he loves you. And because he loves you that way, you love him back. You don't love God so that he'll do things for you. We talked about giving, Darwin. You taught me a lot about uh, Luke 6, 38. And some people have taken that and said, okay, I, I'll give because he's going to give stuff back to me. No, that's not right. He will give. He was giving to you even before you knew he was giving to you. That's not why you give, but it's still true. You don't love because you want to be loved. You love because that's who you are. Well, we see the Father's love, and we're going to see the Father's person. John 10, 30. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John 10, 37, it says, if I do, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. Jesus said that. But, verse 38, if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. He's another way he could say this. If you want to know exactly what the Father's like, look at the Son. 
when Philip asked Jesus, he said, if you show us the Father, it'll be enough. And Philip, he didn't understand. Jesus said this, don't you know, you've been with me so long, don't you know that when you see me, you see the Father? You want to know the character and the nature of God the Father? Look at God the Son. It's exactly the same. God the Son is not the good guy and God the Father the bad guy. God the Son is not the guy who loves you and God the Father, the punitive judging God. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. I'm going to tell you this. God the Father has never been punitive. It's, it's really great. I was with my friend Juan Siles, and Juan said he came to realize not too long back, and this was wonderful. He said he was having coffee, he and his wife over coffee, and he said this, God was never angry with us. Now you see, that's exactly the opposite of what we've always heard. If God was angry with you, would he have sent his son for you? Would he? I don't think so. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus, and I am in Christ. And that means that I have the mind of the Father, and his person is in me. You are like the Father, even if you don't know it. Now, all that the Father has given to you, those who believe, know this. Now, this, this is going to rub some people wrong, but if it does, I really I don't care. All that God the Father has given you, he's also given to all men. For all. When Christ died, all died. When Christ was raised, all were raised. You say that's Romans 6.4, but that's not referring to that. Really? It is Romans 6.4, but it's also 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. And it's many other places. When one died, all died, the Bible says. The last Adam fixed it. The problem brought on by the first Adam. As a result of obedience of the last Adam, Romans 5.18, justification of life was given to all men. They don't know this. They need to believe this. And I think as we share with them, many will. I don't understand why everybody doesn't believe this. And I don't know anybody that does. Well, Romans 4.11, and it says this. And I'm sharing a lot of scripture because I just want you to see it. And he received the sign of circumcision. We're talking about Abraham. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. Notice that it was before he was uncircumcised. The blessing was given before circumcision that he might be father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. Now I want you to see a couple things. Righteousness is given as a gift. It's a gift. It's reckoned to them. Now it's given as a gift of faith and grace, and it's not based on what one has done. But here's the thing. Grace and faith, it says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It was a gift of God, not a result of works that any man should boast. It is a gift given, period, to all men. Now, Abraham was given the gift of righteousness before he was circumcised, before he had done anything. God chose Abraham to bless him before Abraham believed. Did Abraham believe? Yes. But why did God pick Abraham? Why did he pick him when his name was Abraham, when he'd given his wife away two times? Why did God pick this liar to bless? Because he wanted to. Same reason he blesses you. Now, talking about Abram, we were in Abraham, you know, his name was changed, and we are in Abraham's seed. Now, what is the seed of Abraham? It's not to be a Jew. That is not it. The seed of Abraham is Jesus. 
We're part of Abraham through his seed, who is Jesus. Abraham is the father of the faith, not based on law. Romans 4, 16, it says this, for this reason it is by faith. Now let me say this. Let me read. I'm going to read you the way this verse should read without some things that are in italics. You all know what it means when it's in italics. That means it wasn't in the original Greek. So let me read it to you the way it should be read. For this reason, by faith, that in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of faith of Abraham, who are of the faith of Abraham, Abraham owned the faith. According to Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter two, verse sixteen, we are justified by the faith of Christ. Christ, genitive of possession, owns the faith. All throughout Scripture, that's there. I shared that with them in Romania the other night. They came unglued. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it reads the way it's written in the English. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. I don't have any problem with that. It still reads right. But for this reason, by faith. For this reason, by faith. That it, and I'm sorry, that in accordance with grace. They go together. Faith and grace go together. How many people have been given the grace of God? Now, some people would say those he loved. I have a question next. Who does he love? For the God so loved the world. There are those that say, no, he didn't love everybody. Folks, sorry you think that. But I'm telling you, God loves folks that you don't think he loves. And besides, how would you know anyway? I'm just telling you this. You'll never lay eyes on anybody that God didn't love. Okay, let it go. Well, we see the Father's life. I want to say this one thing before I share the Father's life. It was never your faith to work up. It becomes ours because it's a gift given. It was always someone else's faith, and it's been given to us. And fathers do that with their own children. The faith of the Father becomes the faith of the Son. Then the faith of the Son becomes the faith of His Son. And the faith of His Son becomes the faith of His Son or daughters. And it's all a gift, starting with Jesus. Jesus gave you this gift. Tell people. Tell people what it is that he's done. Tell your children what he's given. Now the Father's life, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, there's a rule in the Greek called the Granville Sharp rule, and I'm sure this is a thrill, but in the, in the Greek, the word and would be the word chi. And anytime you have chi with another chi after it, we have this rule called the Granville Sharp rule. In the English, we say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Sounds like three different things, doesn't it? But in the Greek, according to the Andrew, I mean, according to the Granville Sharp rule, it would be translated this way. I am the way, comma, both the truth and the life. It's not three things. He is the way. And it's made up of the truth and the life. I am the way, both the truth and the life. I am. He is I am. Well, only one way to know and to have life is through Jesus. And I want to teach those that I love to know and love Jesus because he knows and loves them. People know and love Jesus because he knows and loves them. John 14, 7, he said this, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him. See what he says? If you'd known me, you'd know my father also. Here it is. From now on, you know him. You know him. 
because they know and have seen Jesus. That's why they know him. Now, we can know the Father. As an earthly father, I want my children to know Jesus. I don't want them to just to know about him. I'm afraid so many people know about Jesus. They can do a Bible quiz. They can play, uh, what do you call it when you flip to the chapter so fast, the verse, you know, Bible drills. You know, they can do Bible drills. They can memorize scripture. But they don't know the Father. And they don't know the Son. They know about him. It's not about knowing about, it's knowing. We can know the Father, and we should, and we do, as we know Christ. John 8, 26, this is what it says. Uh, the Father tells the Son, the Son tells us, we must listen to the Father speak. You see, the Father speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. They have the same message. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One mind, three personalities, one message. There's not a different message for God the Father. Straighten up or I'm going to kill you. God the, Father, God the Son, I love you. God the Father, you better listen to him because if you don't, I'm going to kill you. God the Son, won't you come with me? God the Father, now he's giving you some chances. You better listen. That's what we've taught. And it couldn't be further from the truth. That's a schizophrenic God. Well, God the Son loves us. God the Father loves us. And God the Holy Spirit tells us both. About, tells us about both of their love for us. John 14, 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you? Have I been so long with you? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? You know, we need to know the Father's nature the Father's nature. Well, how can we? Simple. It's exactly the same nature as the nature of Christ. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at Jesus. He's exactly like that. Now, this is what's really strange. Do you want to know your nature? It's exactly the same as the Father, your true nature. It's who you are. You know, sometimes we have such a hard time really understanding who we are because we keep looking at the flesh patterns we have. That is not your identity. You know, a man can act like a dog, but he's not a dog. He'll never be a dog. And a dog can act like a person. Say he's just like a person, just one of the family, but he's not. He's a dog. And he'll never have the true nature of a person. I've never seen a person yet chase his tail at you. I've never seen a person yet try to bite tires on a car. Never seen that. Rarely have I seen a person chase a cat or a rabbit. Dogs are different. They're wonderful, but they're different. Well, we will be about our Father's business of showing everyone we meet the Father in us. We will be His witnesses. Now, let me just say this. It is not what we do. For years, we've had classes on all of these things, trying to teach people to do things. And that's so off. It's, it's about knowing. It's not about doing. It's about knowing how much He loves us. Well, I wrote this, but when I wrote this, I had to write next to it that I'd already written it. Amen. This is what I believe. I'm glad I believe it because I wrote it, but it's what I believe. I said this. I told some of you, and I may have already said it. I don't think so. But I had written this quite a, quite a while back. And when I was looking at it again, the Lord said, You see, you wrote this before you even understood it. And when I was reading it over again, it was like I said, Lord... You have now let me understand what it is you showed me. 
That's the way God does things. Now, here's the beauty of using Scripture. It's truth, even if you don't understand it. There are things that you've memorized and learned that you don't understand that one day God said, now I'm going to show you what I'm saying. And you'll go, of course. And he's going to say, now that you know that, just start reading. Just start reading the Bible, and you're going to see this every place. And that's exactly what happens to you. But this is a faith thing. And again, it's God's faith that he's given you through his son. It's a belief thing, and it's a grace thing. You can't do this in your own power, but it's all about knowing. People need to know who the Father is and what he's done. Well, we're to know that, that we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. In Hebrews 1.5, he says this, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Now, he was talking about Jesus. But he's also talking about you. Everything, this is crazy, everything he says about Jesus, about his love for his son, pertains to you. Everything. Everything. Children that have a father that loves them on this earth, they're different. You know, I've worked with a lot of kids in athletics over the years, and a lot of young guys that don't know their father. I've, I've worked with them that didn't know who their father was, didn't have a clue. There was one particular guy, I won't say his name, gifted athlete, gifted athlete, Division I athlete, gifted athlete. And I think so many of the guys, even like with Robinson, you know, they thought of me as their father, and it's a real privilege for others to think of me as their father, a real privilege. What you sent me about being the number one father, basically, privilege. But this particular young man went to Florida to live with his father. He was so excited. He was moving. He was going to go live with his father in Florida. He was so excited. Now, he had a mother who loved him. But he was going to go live with his father, who'd never done anything for him. But it was his father. And he goes to father, and less than a week, he was back. And he was broken, crushed. And truthfully, that's when a life of crime started with this young man. And he was crying, and he told me, my father didn't want me. He'd idolized his father, who basically had abandoned him as a baby. And when he went to live with his father, he found out, my father didn't want me. And that's what some people have the idea of fathers like. But that's not right. You know, he becomes a father to the fatherless, and he may use you to do that. In Romans 8, 15, it says, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, you know what Abba Father means? That literally means Daddy. You know, I'm, I am uh, the father of four, and a lot of people say, oh, yes, that's David's father, that's Peter's father, that's Stephen's father, that's Laura's father. And they point to me like that. That's Robinson's father. But, you know, only a few people in the world really can call me Daddy. Only a few. But, you see, all the people in the world can call God the Father Daddy. Because that's the way he looks at them. Well, Acts 16.31, it basically says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I'm not going to try to make a, a big, big theological statement. I'm just going to say that salvation and fatherhood go together. But it's all from his side. I just simply believe it. I simply believe it. Well, we're going to see something next that, that some people don't understand the father's discipline. Now, some people have made the discipline of the Father punitive, punishment. That's not what it is at all. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? Discipline is not punitive. Discipline is not judgment. John 8, 15, it says, You people judge according to the flesh. He said, I am judging no one. People don't understand what godly discipline is. A father's discipline is not punitive. It is always for good, and it is never for judgment. Jesus has taken our judgment. In Hebrews 12, 8, but if you are without discipline, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we, have, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they dis disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And here's what that is. Discipline leads to being conformed to his image. Discipline basically means the same word as discipling. We say he's a disciplined person. That doesn't mean he's being spanked all the time. This, this makes it clear. It's not punitive. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, it says in verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 12 but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, discipline trains. Those who have been trained by, by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline. That's God revealing to you in whatever way is necessary through brokenness that He is your life. He's all you need. He's all you'll ever need. Proverbs 15, 5, it says, A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is prudent. Well, to hurry, I'm going to share with you Hebrews 12 also in verse 12, the father's direction. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Our weakness becomes our strength. That's part of discipline. Understanding that we're weak. God doesn't want you to be strong. God wants you to be dependent. Totally dependent. Our weakness becomes our strength when we learn to totally rely on God. He's our source, our strength, our life. He's not just the source of our strength. He's not just the source of our life. See the difference the way I say that? He is our source. Come. He is our strength. We don't get our strength from God. He is our strength. We don't get our life from God. He is our life. Many of our children have never heard us pray anything but a blessing. And praying is not being on your knees. Praying is not that. Praying is simply communicating with God. What do you communicate? I'm not trying to get you to teach your children how to pray. I'm not doing that. I want you to know who it is that Christ is and what he's given you. Through God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, all involved. Well, let them see us totally depending on God for everything and let them know that Christ is our life. Last thing, Father's freedom. This is the thing that gets overlooked. John 8, verse 34 through 39, if you wanted to read them, I'm not going to read them all, but that's where this is from. In verse 36, it says, So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. 
That's what it says. People don't believe that. They're still bound. Wherever I go, I see people that are bound by law, by religion. Religion's a terrible taskmaster. Religion kills. <laughs> In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom's sake you've been set free. Try to make that mean something else. Are you free in everything? You are free. The Jews were slaves to sin as a lifestyle. You know, the Jews were made a big deal. We're not slaves. We're Jews. We're sons of God, and yet they were slaves to a lifestyle. The biggest sin is depending on the flesh for answers and solutions. That's the biggest sin. Not believing Christ. Well, know who you are and live out of who you are. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Pursue peace with all men. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Sanctification means to be set apart. It's the same word as the word holy. Holiness is a gift. You were chosen holy, it says, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. The way we pursue peace with all men is to see them come to know the Lord. It's to help them see just who it is that Christ has declared them to be. That who it is that God the Father has declared them to be. Sons. Based on what he did. That they were enemies and now they've been given this justification. Based on what he did. You realize that sanctification, this sanctification, as you continue to realize your position in the Lord, you grow in your understanding of your sanctification. We're not continually being sanctified. Sanctification is not an ongoing process. Now, realizing your sanctification is an ongoing process. But sanctification was completed at the cross from eternity past. We'll spend a life understanding this. Well, if you want to see men saved, you tell them what Christ has already done. You tell them all this stuff that he's already done for them and ask them to believe all that he's given them is there. Watch what happens. Watch and see some lives changed. In Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That's pretty cool. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, all is grace that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Okay. I'm going to talk about this. I've heard people use this many times. The last thing I'm going to share, that Esau couldn't repent. Oh, Esau couldn't repent. Even though he sought it with tears. Here's the bottom line. You ready for this? Nobody can repent. Because you see, repentance, what is it? What are we repenting from? From sinning? From doing this? And I've got to stop that. I've got to repent of that. You repent of unbelief. Esau was trying to repent of whatever by his own efforts. Crying. I want it. He was trying to repent through the flesh, and you can't. He found no place for repentance because by his flesh he was trying to do it. You can't even repent yourself. Now, it's not what you have. 
or what you get or what you do. It's who you are. So the thing is, with our children, as a father or anyone else, you tell your children who they are in Christ. Repentance is believing, which is in fact a grace gift. You can't even do that. It involves humbling yourself. Fatherhood of God. That's the kind of father you are. Just know it. Just know what he's done. The Father to Jesus is the same Father to you and to all men. I don't have anything else for you this week. I'm telling you what I shared with you today may be the most important thing you'll ever share with anyone. Tell them what the Father has given them. Tell them about the Father's love. Got no, nothing else today. And uh, for my new friends, welcome. For the others that have been here a while, we love you too. So we'll see you all next time.